This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Hey, uh, each week at Christian Chapel in 2023, we are sharing stories of what God has done. If you have those, please send them in to us at praise at christianchapel.com. We know there are stories of God's miraculous healing, God's intervention, his provision, his salvation. We want to celebrate those together. Um, Today's story comes from Zach McIntyre. Zach is an almost lifelong member of Christian Chapel, seen back there this morning. Uh, We actually get to dedicate Zach and Ashley's baby Lucas in August, so looking forward to that as well. Um, Zach was, this is not part of his story, I came to Christian Chapel as a youth pastor, and uh, Zach was one of my favorite kids that I ever had. So much fun, so many stories, none of them good for now, but uh, just... (laughs) Just a wonderful, wonderful kid. So much joy, so much life, and, and to get to see that now is really awesome. But um, Zach sent this to us a, a couple weeks ago. It's kind of a, a trip down memory lane for me actually reading through it. He said, I graduated high school in May of 2009 and shortly after left for boot camp with the United States Army. Serving in the Army had been a long-time goal and dream. On July 27, 2009, during basic training, I fell from the top of a 45-foot cargo net. I landed on my head and immediately felt the bones snap in my neck. I'd broken my neck in multiple places and couldn't move my legs. The officers who saw me fall and rushed to my side were certain that I was dead. In that moment, I felt my heart stop beating and I quit breathing. I had an out-of-body experience in God's presence and sensed God telling me that he still had plans for my life and that I was not going to die. Almost instantaneously, my lungs filled with air and my heart started beating. I was transported to a nearby hospital where one of the top trauma surgeons on the eastern seaboard was flown in to operate on me. They were able to stabilize my broken neck, but my long-term outlook was not good. There was significant worry that I would never walk again. God opened a door for me to go to the Shepherd Center in Atlanta, Georgia. It is the premier spinal cord injury rehabilitation center in the United States. Exactly one month after I'd fallen from the net and should have died, I took my first five steps in rehab. Those five steps were small and shaky, but they were steps that many doubted I would ever be able to take. Throughout my recovery process, there were moments of anger, fear, frustration, and doubt. There were insecurities, blood, sweat, and tears. But after two more months of rehab, I was sent home. God's miracles were consistent and continual throughout my accident and recovery, from keeping me alive after the horrific fall, to arranging the best care available, to overcoming the odds of a recovery. God was with me every minute of every day. Today, I'm almost fully recovered. I can walk, I'm married, and I have a beautiful baby boy. God saved my life, God preserved my life, he changed my life, and has been with me in every up and down since that time. And that's the... That's the, about as short as we could condense Zach's story. If we had time, we could, we could take 30 minutes this morning telling you the miracles that God performed along the way uh, there in 2009 and, and all the way up to today that he's continued to work in his life. But each week as we're sharing those stories, we're remembering the goodness of God. We're stopping to pray and thank God for what he's done. And then we're also asking him, Lord, will you do it again? 
And so in just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving, and then I'm going to lead us in a prayer of healing. And, and specifically this morning, we're going to pray if, if you have suffered trauma from injuries, from accidents, if there are things that you've been told you will never do again because of sickness or disease, this morning we're going to pray that God is going to release his gifts of healing in your life through whatever means he chooses, just as he did for Zach, and that you will begin to receive back those things that have been taken from you. So will you join me in prayer? Jesus, we come to you today, Lord, and as we look back on what you did for Zach in 2009, Lord, our hearts are once again just filled with gratitude at your love and your mercy that you extended toward him. We thank you, Lord, for your protection and provision. We thank you that what should have been deadly was not. Lord, we thank you for every detail of every day that you arranged. We thank you for gifts of perseverance and gifts of healing. We thank you, Lord, for gifts of faith that you released, gifts of provision. Lord, that time and time again in Zach's story, we saw your hand at work, and we saw that your grace was sufficient. And now, Lord, we come and we pray as you have done for Zach, will you do again today? Lord, you see those among us who are suffering physically from harm, from sickness, from disease, from accidents, from trauma, and from injury. Today, Lord, you see the spaces where doctors have told us that there are movements that will never be restored, that there are capabilities that have been permanently lost. Lord, you see the trauma of past abuse. You see the difficulties we've been through in our own personal histories and family histories. You see all the spaces where we've been told what was taken away can never be restored. Restored. Jesus, today we ask, will you release not only your gifts of physical healing, but will you release gifts of restoration and peace? Will you begin to give back all that the enemy has taken away from us? Will you begin to restore and renew? Will you begin, Lord, to not only give back physical movement and motion, but will you begin to restore emotionally and spiritually? Will you begin to release gifts of healing in our minds and in our hearts and in our bodies? Jesus, we believe that you are the one who goes before us, that you're the one who's at work in every season and every situation. And so today, Lord, we come in a position of surrender. We come acknowledging our need and asking you to release your gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Again, if you have those stories, please send them to us. Praise at ChristianChapel.com. We would love to celebrate them with you. We are continuing our way through a series in the book of Acts. Acts is a story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church. And so we're kind of working our way through it story by story. I believe today is week 16 uh, as we're kind of working our way through. If you want to know how long it goes, I don't know. Um, but there are 28 chapters in Acts, and we are in Acts 6 this morning. So might be a while. Uh, but it's, it's, it's an opportunity for us just to really reflect on the, the nature of Acts, not just as a description of what happened a long time ago, but as a, a prescription for what should still be happening in the church today. And so the approach that we're taking is everything we read in the story of Acts was not just God's promise to the first generation of Christians, but is God's promise to every generation of Christians until Christ returns. And so the same supernatural power we see at work establishing the church in a world that doesn't know Jesus is the same supernatural power that is still at work establishing the church in a world that doesn't know Jesus. And what we'll see today is that that work is accomplished through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. 
And so today we're going to talk about the Spirit-empowered life. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6 and see the, the story of Stephen. Now Stephen is, uh, we were introduced to him last week. He's one of the men that the apostles bring in to help with the administration of the church. He is not one of the original apostles. He, as far as we know, was not one of those who walked with Jesus uh, during his ministry. Stephen seems to be, from every account, an ordinary Christian who was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, lived a Spirit-empowered life, and, and then actually ultimately becomes the first martyr in the Christian church. And so uh, today our focus, though, is on the, the idea of what did it mean for Stephen to live a Spirit-empowered life, and what does that mean for us to live a spirit-empowered life. Now, before we get into that, um, I'm aware that sometimes you, you can see an idea like that of the spirit-empowered life and, and really feel like that is for really good people, that's for really holy Christians, that's for people who have all of their stuff together and are headed in the right direction. And I know, uh, because I've, I've done this long enough and because I've lived long enough, that every Sunday we come to church, almost all of us are carrying some form of hurt, some form of baggage, some kind of doubt, some kind of uncertainty, some space in our life that we're afraid maybe that does disqualify me from the full promises of God. Maybe this means it's not quite for me yet. And so if that's you this morning and you think the spirit-empowered life is a good thing, a godly thing, it's just for other people. I want to encourage you today in the scriptures, there's only one qualifier to live a spirit-empowered life, and it's that you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus, this gift of the Holy Spirit is for you. It's not about your marital status. It's not about the condition of your kids. It's not about how much money you make or education you have. It's not about how successful you feel or how big of a failure you think you are. It doesn't matter what you have been called or what you have called someone else. As long as you are called a child of God, you are fully and permanently qualified to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that Acts promises to us. Jesus is the one who told us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us, and we will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As you work into Acts chapter 2, we see Peter assuring us that this promise is for all people all of the time, that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh, your young men and your old women, your, your young men and your old men, your old women and your young women, your servants, everybody, everywhere, Peter makes it clear. He says this is going to be poured out on all flesh for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so what that means is from that day to this day, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Spirit-empowered life is a gift that remains for every single one of us. And so in just a moment, we're going to read just a couple short verses from Acts chapter 6 that give us a description of Stephen and what a spirit-empowered life looks like. And as we do that, my encouragement to you from the very, very beginning this morning is do not disqualify yourself from a promise that God has already qualified you for. Because right? you, can, you can already have like, well, that's not me, and that's for them. And that. Jesus is the one who said, it's for you. This is is for you. The promise of a spirit-empowered life is not just a hopeful ideal that you're supposed to strive for and maybe one day you'll attain. It's a gift that you receive when you submit and surrender to all that God has for you. So in Acts 6, we see Stephen, a description of the spirit-empowered life. Verse 8, it says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. 
Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And we'll get into next week Stephen's response to those who oppose him, but for today what we want to understand, as we've already emphasized, is that the Spirit-empowered life is for all of us. Every single man, woman, and child who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ is intended to be a recipient of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, Christians throughout history and around the world today agree that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. We agree that it is the Holy Spirit who reveals truth to us. We agree that it is the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin and reveals Jesus as the source of righteousness. We believe it's the Holy Spirit who comes and shows us that Jesus is our Savior. We agree that it is the Holy Spirit who arrives and gives us gifts of faith to place our belief in Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who comes and assures us of our salvation. It's the Holy Spirit, Christians agree, who has inspired the scriptures. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the ability to hear and apply the scriptures in our lives. As we noted in the book of Acts, we see Jesus promising that the Holy Spirit not only does these things, but also that he releases a special gift of power to be his witness. Jesus' plan is that every single believer would have an experience of power from the Holy Spirit for the primary purpose of living as a witness for Christ in the world, and that this is a post-conversion experience, a supernatural experience of the Holy Spirit. And so we see this practice as we work our way through the book of Acts. We're going to come on it again and again and again. We see that this is a, a belief the apostles embraced, they taught, and they shared. That we place our faith in Jesus Christ, and then we receive a special gift of power from the Holy Spirit. We see it throughout the early church. You see it in pockets throughout the medieval church right up to the modern church. And yet, as you read church history, what you find is the rapid and explosive growth of the church in the first century fueled by this emphasis on Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church. As the church gained cultural power and as the church gained acceptance, the emphasis on the power of the Holy Spirit to witness was diminished because there wasn't as great of a need for it anymore. However, if you again read through church history, you'll see that for 2,000 years there have always been pockets of spirit-empowered ministry and spirit-empowered emphasis in the Christian church. The Holy Spirit has always been present, the Holy Spirit has always been active, and the Holy Spirit has always been available to all who will call on him. As we moved into the 20th century, we began to see a renewed emphasis on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian church. This renewed emphasis coincided with many technological advances that resulted in the greatest work of world evangelism and mission that the church has ever seen. Terms were given to that movement over the last 110, 115 years. It's been referred to as the Pentecostal movement because of the emphasis that the events of the day of Pentecost are still available to us today. Some call it the charismatic movement because of the emphasis on the charisma, the gifts, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit that are still experienced today. Others call it the Spirit-filled movement or the Spirit-empowered movement. But regardless of the term we use to describe it, the emphasis remains the same. And it's a belief that the gift of the Holy Spirit 
Spirit from Jesus, as we see in the book of Acts, remains the model for believers today. In fact, if you were to look around the world, you would notice that denominations have formed along these lines. And as they have formed and as this message has grown, the gospel has advanced in very dark places. And this gift of the Spirit has been renewed and embraced throughout the church. In fact, in 2020, the World Christian Encyclopedia estimated that there were 644 million Christians in the world who identify as Pentecostal, charismatic, spirit-empowered, or spirit-filled. Now, for context, there are about 2.3 billion Christians in the world in 2020, so a significant portion. But what I, I want you to understand this morning is that this gift of spirit empowerment that we see in the book of Acts, it's not something that was discovered by one or two Christians and taught at the fringes of Christianity, but from the foundation of the church, spirit-empowered living has been the core of who we are and has been the primary uh, accelerant to the gospel in places where the church is not established and Jesus is not known. So in 2020, 644 million people in the world identify as Pentecostal, charismatic, spirit-empowered, spirit-filled, some variation of we embrace Acts as a model for today. Now, what that represents is 8.3% of the global population identifies as people who experience the ongoing power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Or to put it another way, one out of every 12 people walking the earth says they believe in the ongoing power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And and so I, I share that with you, not because numbers prove truth, Right? Because we could also talk about how there's a, a billion Muslims in the world, uh, but, but we're not doing that this morning. But I share that with you simply so you understand that it is mainstream Christianity to embrace the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. This is not something that happens in the fringes. It's not something that happens in the hills. It's not something that happens only at church camps, youth camps, or in kind of just these cloistered away environments. But the fastest growing and most prolific segment of the Christian church for the last 100 years has been men, women, teenagers, and children who embrace the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And it shows no signs of stopping. Estimates are within the next few years there will be well over a billion people who identify as Pentecostal or charismatic Christians. A billion people who believe that Jesus gives gifts of power to be his witnesses. That those statistics behind me will continue to increase. The percentage of the global population who embraces the empowering presence of the Spirit will go up. We will move from possibly one out of every 12 to one out of every 10, which means it will become exceedingly difficult for anyone to go anywhere without encountering someone who is filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. What we see in the Spirit-empowered church is a movement that began with a small group of people on Azusa Street in Los Angeles around the turn of the 19th century has now become the predominant experience of Christianity throughout South America, throughout Africa, growing into India, throughout Asia, and into China. And in the coming decades, it will be the primary form of Christian experience and worship 
All of that to say, the gift of the Holy Spirit was Jesus' plan then, and the gift of the Holy Spirit is Jesus' plan now. And if you and I want to live the full life that Jesus has called us to live, he intends for that to be accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Jesus never came to start a religion where we do our best. He never came to give us a list of rules and wish us luck. But he said that he has come to bring us into a new covenant, into a new experience, and that we will experience it and live in it through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know for for some of us, there are still some obstacles that we have to overcome when it comes to the Spirit-empowered life. They're just even, maybe now, there are some alarm bells going off in your head, and and those are based off of your own experiences. Those are based off of the things that you have encountered in your life. And and so I want to take just a a couple minutes. We've walked through these before, but I, I think it's worth our time again today. So the first obstacle some of us have to overcome when it comes to the spirit empowered life is one of confusion. Where we have been told, maybe you grew up in a church that taught, you know, not so much God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but a little more maybe God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. And you were taught that the Holy Spirit, maybe they just called him the Holy Ghost to try to scare you a little more, right? And, and you were taught that, that the Holy Spirit was active in the Scriptures, those supernatural things happened, but that was only a gift for the first century when the church was getting started and it died with the apostles, What I would encourage you with, if that's kind of how you were raised or the things that you've learned or the struggles that you have, is is simply to go back and begin to read the New Testament for yourself. And as you read it, lay aside your preconceived notions and ideas. Lay aside every, all the cultural and theological baggage that you might bring with you. And just begin to ask God to speak directly to you about what you're reading and its application to your life today. And I think what you'll find is that arguments for the the cessation of the gifts of the Spirit, for the cessation of the work of the Spirit, for the cessation of this gift of Spirit-empowered living, that all of those arguments are built more on an anti-supernatural bias that we find in Western culture than they are an honest reading of the Scriptures. And so I've, I've told you, you know, all the time at Christian Chapel, our desire is not to get you to conform to the guidelines of a denomination. Our desire is that we would all experience everything the scriptures promise us. And what I think you'll find as you read through the book of Acts and through the rest of the New Testament is that an ongoing and active relationship with the Holy Spirit is God's plan for every single one of us. And so if if there is confusion, my encouragement to you, again, is just come to the scriptures and ask the Lord to speak to you and then follow the path of peace that he's laying out before you. Now, for some of us, there's there's, uh, another response of fear when we start to hear about the spirit-empowered life. And this usually means you, you grew up on the opposite end of the Christian spectrum, right? So if, if confusion is, I was taught that's not for today, fear sometimes is based in, I was taught that was for every day by a bunch of crazy people who did weird stuff, right? And, and, and you saw some things, and you saw things blamed on the Holy Spirit, and, and you maybe even had, I mean, I, I've talked with people before who've just been straight up and told me, if the Holy Spirit makes me like them, I don't want the Holy Spirit. I always try to assure them, hey, your aunt or uncle was weird before the Holy Spirit, right? Like, you should be far more concerned with your genetics than you should be with the Holy Spirit right now. Like, it's, it's going to happen, but it's not the Holy Spirit's fault. It's just, you know, whatever. But, but here, here's the thing. You might have seen some excesses. 
I know I've witnessed them, many around the room, we have witnessed them, but my encouragement to you is never let the mistakes of others keep you from experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus has for you. And, and, and you're mature, and you're smart, and you're intelligent. You've done this in a lot of other areas. You've seen marriage go wrong, and yet you still believe it's God's plan, and you're giving it a shot. You've seen church communities that didn't function well, and yet you still believe this is God's plan, and so you're giving it a shot. You've seen people abuse the scriptures, and yet you still believe they are God's gift to us, and so you're submitting and surrendering to them. And I would encourage you to do the same thing with the Spirit-empowered life. You might have seen excesses. You might have seen abuses. You might have been told things that were completely wrong and had no basis in the scriptures. But from that position, don't let the mistakes of others push you away from a gift that God has for you. God intends for each of us to live by the power of his Holy Spirit. The, the third obstacle that some of us have to overcome is the obstacle of pride. The spirit-empowered life assumes that I lack the power to do what God has called me to do. And I don't know that there is anything more anti-American than admitting I can't do it. Right? I, I, it's a phrase that I never wanted to hear my kids say. Uh, it's a phrase that I try to never utter. I know many of you as well that the best way to tell you or to get you to do something is to tell you you can't do it. Right? I think it back in, in our marriage, I know if Angie ever brings me something and says, I don't think you can open this, but would you try? Like, we all know how that it ends with either I'm breaking the jar, I'm dislocating my elbow, or, but there will never be an admission of, you're right, I can't. And, and so some of us, we carry that cultural value into our experience of the Holy Spirit. And where Jesus says, you need power, our pride wells up and we think, I've got it on my own. I'm smart enough, I'm eloquent enough, I'm connected enough, I know how to do this. Right? Or the other side of our pride is, is as we read the scriptures, we see how the Spirit comes in supernatural ways. We see how the Spirit comes in, in ways that are different than what is normally accepted in Western culture and society. And our pride says, you don't want to do that, you might get embarrassed. You don't want to go down those roads. You might become one of those people. And, and so for some of us, really, the, the reason we have not experienced the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit is not because we don't believe the Scriptures. It's simply because we're too proud to submit and surrender to our need and to God's gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the, the last obstacle that, that some of us face, and, and this is primarily for those who've grown up in environments where the, the work of the Spirit has been emphasized, is one of frustration where you believe in the gift of the Holy Spirit. You believe in the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. You believe that Acts is not just a description, but is a model for what should be happening in your life. But somewhere along the line, you have sought this gift and not received it. You have sought and, and felt like it wasn't fulfilled, and so you've kind of come up against this frustration of, well, maybe that gift just isn't for me. And if that's you this morning, I would encourage you that, that the scriptural mandate is that we pursue until we receive. That we submit and surrender until we receive. And what we find in the book of Acts is that some receive the gift of the Holy Spirit almost immediately after salvation. Others after a period of prayer and waiting. And some in some kind of intermediate ground. And all I can tell you is, is 20 years as a pastor, I have never met a person who continually sought the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit and did not receive it. Our job is to continually pray, Lord, I want all that you have for me in whatever way you want to give it to me. 
And as we pray that prayer of surrender, we will experience the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we look at Stephen's life, his life is a picture of the Spirit-empowered life. And I think it's a description of a life that many of us would love. Again, going back to to earlier verses, uh, chapter 6, verse 5, it talks about how Stephen was full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. He's defined as a man who was full of faith, full of grace, full of power. A man whose wisdom could not be matched. And and virtually every description we have of Stephen is a description that each one of us would say, I would like that in my life. I would like that for my children. I would like that for my friends. I would like that for my family. In fact, I, I I would say this morning that at Christian Chapel, if each of us were to embrace the work of the Spirit in our life as Stephen embraced, we would not have enough room to fit all of the people who would start to come to Christ because of the work of the Spirit in our life. Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit. And so what we see, we see this initial description of him in chapter 6, verse 5. It says, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So again, we were introduced to Stephen last week as the, one of the seven men the apostles choose to help them with the administrative needs of the church. And you notice that Stephen's qualification is not his business background, it's not his education, it's not who his mom or dad were, it's not the languages he spoke, it's nothing at all about him except that he is full of the Holy Spirit. And so what we want to understand this morning is that the Spirit-empowered life is about a life that is full of the Holy Spirit. So, so Please listen carefully. The Spirit-empowered life is not about whether you agree with a doctrinal statement or not. The Spirit-empowered life is not about if you've been in a service where other people experienced the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit-empowered life is not do I belong to a church that emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit-empowered life is not about do my favorite podcast preachers emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit-empowered life is not about the books that you've read or the conferences that you've attended or the names that you know. The Spirit-empowered life is defined by a personal and powerful experience of the Holy Spirit. If you want to live a Spirit-empowered life, you're not going to get to it anyway except through the Holy Spirit. And as we said earlier, you've already been fully qualified for this gift. Jesus says that it's for everyone who has placed their faith in him. It's for all of his disciples for all time until he returns. And and Stephen particularly is a wonderful encouragement to us because as far as we know, Stephen is just an ordinary guy. He's not one of the apostles. He's not one of those who walked with Jesus. He's not one of those. He just seems to be somebody who had placed their faith in Jesus and was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so today it's a reminder to us that the Holy Spirit and the Spirit-empowered life is for all of us. A gift available to the most ordinary and mundane among us. And when we receive that gift of Spirit empowerment, God then begins to open new doors for us to minister in places where we never would have had any effect or impact. But it's not us. It's the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. As you keep reading down in in verse 8, it says that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of grace. Now, for for those of us who maybe grew up in some Pentecostal or charismatic churches, this is probably an important element for us to note. A spirit-empowered life will be a life full of grace. 
a couple weeks ago, I, Angie and I had the privilege of, of going to preach for one of my buddies. And he had asked me to, to talk about this gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And so I, I preached a very similar message to what I preached uh, here last November and shared that with his church. And afterwards, there was a lady who came up to me and she said, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. But can you please tell me why the people who claim to be filled with the Spirit are some of the, the least grace-filled people I know? I told her, you need new friends. Like, come to Christian Chapel. I don't know what's going on, where you came from, right? Because I know that's not the condition of my friend's church I was preaching, but somewhere in her history, she had associated people who emphasized the power of the Holy Spirit with people who were legalistic, mean, rude, and just looking for any excuse to cut everyone off, right? And, and all under the guise of I walk in the Spirit and y'all pagans just do what I say, right? And so what I want you to understand, what we see in Stephen's life, because in a moment, it'll talk about how Stephen was also full of power, and that's the external work of the Holy Spirit in his life. But the internal work of a Spirit-empowered life is that you will be a grace-filled person to the point that grace overflows into everything you do. And we, we see this description, Paul will later tell us that the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, if you had to sum all of those fruit up in one word, it would be grace. If you're kind, you're gracious. If you're loving, you're gracious. If you're patient, you're gracious. If you have self-control, you're gracious. If you're faithful, you're gracious. If you're good, you're gracious. And so what we want to understand this morning is when we say, I want the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, it's not just for external power that others can see. It's not just so I will be called in new positions of leadership or responsibility, but one of the primary reasons that I need the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit is so that I will be a gracious person. Because here's what you need to understand about yourself. What I have to understand about myself is that grace is not our natural disposition. There's not a single person in the room that thinks, you know what, I hope tomorrow, tomorrow I hope somebody lets me down so I have an opportunity to extend grace. Tomorrow, I hope that coworker that I'm counting on to have that thing done just completely blew it off for no good reason at all. Because I just love to extend grace. There's not a parent in the room that thinks, I hope today's a tantrum day. Right? <laughs> There's not a husband in the room thinking, I can't wait till she says, let's talk. There's nobody's doing that. None of us want that. Why? Because grace is not our natural disposition. Our natural disposition is sin and selfishness. And I need the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to come and make me a grace-filled person. What qualified Stephen and what made him such an effective witness for the Lord was that the Holy Spirit had not just released gifts, but had transformed his character. And, and this is our prayer. So if, if you're here this morning and you feel like, I, you know, I don't really know if I, if I even want the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit at work in my life, my encouragement to you is I know we all need grace. And so just start there even. If just, Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you make me more patient? Will you make me more kind? Will you make me good and faithful? Will you release gifts of self-control into my heart and into my mind? Will you make my life be defined by grace? And then as you, you keep reading Stephen's story, it says that he was a man full of grace and power. And in that power... Uh, Luke associates with signs and wonders that were performed by Stephen as he ministered. 
And so, again, what we want to understand is the Spirit-empowered life is a life of power. When Jesus calls us into a relationship with him, we are being called into a supernatural experience of God. Our faith from beginning to end is supernatural. And we all generally accept and understand that, but for some reason when it comes to the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, there's a segment of Christianity that has decided that's the bridge too far. That we're okay with God who spoke the earth into existence from nothing. We're okay with the Lord speaking to Moses, parting the Red Sea. We're okay with the events of Noah and the flood. We're okay with the idea that he sent his only son to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, to suffer, die, to be buried, to rise from the dead, to ascend into heaven, and to one day return. We're okay with the idea that God somehow can convict us of sin, reveal Jesus as Savior, and we believe that the Spirit of God lives inside of us. And yet you come to the book of Acts and it says, and you will be filled with power and he will release signs and wonders and miracles and some of us decide that's just too weird and yet we fully embrace and believe everything else and so if if that's where you are this morning my encouragement to you is the spirit empowered life is not about you becoming some kind of religious charlatan where you have a few party tricks that you pull out to convince people that Jesus is real but the spirit empowered life is the realization that as you follow Jesus you're going to be taken into situations you're going to encounter people facing needs that are beyond your ability to meet and the only hope you have in that space is the gift of the Holy Spirit working through you. In, in a little over a week, we're going to take over 100 volunteers from Christian Chapel to Royal Family Kids Camp. And we're going to have about 70 campers, 7 to 11-year-old little boys and girls who've grown up in foster care, who have experienced depths of hurt and depravity that we could never even imagine. And in five days of camp, we're going to fish, and we're going to swim, and we're going to have all kinds of fun activities and events. And what I know is going to happen several times, because it's happened every year for 25 years, is there are moments of conversation and moments of opportunity where a little boy or girl will open up their heart and their history to someone who feels completely unqualified to help them. And in that space, our only hope is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Our only hope is that he will come and begin to give us words to speak. Our only hope is that he will flow through us in those moments. And this is the promise of Acts. When you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's not about a one-time experience that you had at an altar or a church camp. It is about an ongoing experience and expression of power. The Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, is God's gift of power to his people. And so to try to live God's ways without God's gifts is like going into a fight with both hands tied behind your back. You might survive, but it's not going to be pretty. We were intended to embrace the full and supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And so again, this is the space where we want to receive all that God has for us so we can accomplish all that God places in front of us. And then what we also see in Stephen's story is that as he embraces this spirit-empowered life and he begins to live the the path that God is laying out for him, that sometimes that spirit-empowered life is rejected. Now, in a perfect world, you would surrender your life to Jesus. You would receive this gift of the Holy Spirit, and everyone around you would see it, would celebrate it, would applaud you, would ask you about it, and then would have the same experience himself. And yet what we see in Stephen's story is as he begins to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, as he begins to share the good news of Jesus with others, that there are some who respond, but there are many who reject. 
And so we have to live with this reality of the spirit-empowered life doesn't mean everyone will always love you. It doesn't mean everyone will always accept you. It doesn't mean that everyone will celebrate you. There will be those who oppose you. There will be those who want to argue with you. There will be those who try to silence you. There will be those who disassociate with you. There will be those who thought you've gone off the deep end. There will be those who don't want anything to do with you. And in that space, you've got to recognize that God's approval is the only thing that really matters to you in life. And that this gift of the Spirit has brought such life, such peace, such joy, such grace that you would never dream of exchanging it for something else. Now for Stephen, the rejection gets very serious. We'll see over the next week or two exactly how bad things get and how quickly they go bad. But we'll also see God working through that situation. But for this morning, we'll we'll finish in Acts chapter 6, verse 10, where it says, They were no match for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit through Stephen. And what I want you to understand this morning is the spirit-empowered life cannot be defeated. Now, now hear me, because there's some, some nuance that's important there. When we say the spirit-empowered life cannot be defeated, we're not saying that the spirit-empowered life never has difficulty. We're not saying that people filled with the power of the Holy Spirit never know sorrow, never know frustration. We're not saying, mom or dad, that if you're filled with the spirit, your kids are always going to make every right decision. We're not saying that if you're filled with the Spirit, you'll never have a difficult conversation in your marriage. You'll never have a season of unemployment. You'll never know physical need or want. What we're saying, though, is when you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you are walking the path that God has laid out for you, and that path will finish where God wants it to finish. Nothing can short-circuit God's plans in your life. And so what we see in Stephen's life, and we'll get into it more in the the coming weeks, is that he steps into a very dangerous space. And he begins to speak very difficult words to men in positions of power. He steps into a role that ultimately is going to cost him his life, but will also launch the church forward faster and farther than it would have without him. This morning, what we want to remember is that when we live the Spirit-empowered life, we're stepping into a kingdom where we are are surrendering and submitting every part of ourselves to Jesus. We've taken our place as his sons and daughters, and as we receive this gift of the Spirit, we're now walking the path he lays out for us where we're saying, Lord, whatever you want to do and whatever you want to accomplish, I'm here for it. And in that space, we can live with confidence and peace knowing if God has called me here and if he has equipped me here and if he has empowered me here, then he's going to keep leading on. The spirit-empowered life cannot be defeated, not because of who I am and not because of who you are, but because it is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that now dwells within us. It's the same spirit that brings life to our bodies. It's the same spirit that brings words to our mouth. It's the same spirit that brings encouragement to our souls. It means that every obstacle the enemy places on you will not destroy you. It means you may be hard-pressed. You might feel crushed, but you will not be destroyed. Not because of you, not because of your discipline or your intelligence, not because of your friendships or connections, but because because you are full of the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the desire for the Spirit-empowered life is not a desire to check a spiritual box and move on with your life. It's a desire that I want to live in the fullness of the power and the presence of God right here and right now. And so if you'll stand with me, I want to just lead us in a prayer as the band comes back. 
and just really believing that this spirit-empowered life is still for all of us. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Jesus, we come to you today. Lord, if there is anyone in the room with us or anyone online with us who has not surrendered their lives to you, they, they have not asked you to forgive them of their sins and taken their place in your family, I pray today that they would do that. Lord, today may they begin to just acknowledge their sin and their separation from you. And as I ask you to forgive them, Lord, may they walk forward in new life as your sons and your daughters. Lord, I pray for each one of us in the room. We come now recognizing our need for the continual empowering presence of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you come in this room and into each of our hearts and minds this morning? Will you assure us of our salvation? And will you fill us with your gift of power? Will you give us the ability to do all that you have for us in every season and every situation? Will you plant within each of our hearts and minds this morning, Jesus, a deep desire to pursue the fullness of the Holy Spirit until we have experienced it? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.